Welcome everybody to the Nerdpool Podcast with the fat fool who loves Deadpool, your host, Jamie. The water's fine. Come on in. What's up everybody and welcome to another episode of the Nerdpool Podcast. As always, I am your host, the fat fool that loves Deadpool. Yes, it's me, it's me, it's a J-M-I-E, your 492nd favorite podcast host, and as always, your Sherpa down the road of nerdiness. And on today's episode, we are recapping one of the biggest fight cards of this past year for the UFC. That's right, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, UFC 217 Live from the mecca of sports entertainment, live from the most famous arena in the world, Madison Square Garden. This show had not one, not two, but three title fights, and this show, from top to bottom, was a very exciting show. We had vicious knockouts, we had great submissions, we had undefeated streaks come to an end, we had massive upsets, and we had the return of one of the greatest fighters of all time, and probably the greatest welterweight of all time, GSP, returned to take on reigning middleweight champion Michael the Count Bisbing for the middleweight championship. Before we get into that, let's just run through the card. I'm going to be running through the main card. Mostly, I'm going to tell you just a little bit about the undercard. First off, we had Randy Brown, who I'm not that familiar with. I've seen some of his stuff, but I'm not a big a fan of his, I guess, because I don't know much about him. Taking on the CM Punk killer, the hype train of Mickey Gall, the guy who came into this fight at undefeated, touted as being one of the next big things in MMA, um, he beat Sam Punk, he's beat Sage North, Northcutt, and as this, he took on Randy Brown, and he suffered his first defeat uh, by Randy Brown as a unanimous decision. The fight was was pretty good, but it, pretty much Mickey Gall got, got, he got dominated pretty much the entire fight. Mickey Gall's got a big upside to him, and he's going to be great, but he's just, he's still growing in the sport. He's only got, you know, uh, four or five wins, so it's it's not that much. He's still relatively new to the sport, so we're going to move on from that to uh, Ovent St. Prue, OSP, the former UT football star, taking on Corey Anderson. This fight was actually I was looking forward to because both of these guys are are powerful strikers, and I thought it was going to be fun to watch. Ovent St. Prue wins this fight in the third round at a minute 25 in with a vicious head kick knockout walk off he kicks Corey Anderson in the head it sounds like a baseball bat going off his skull and then he just proceeds to walk off because he knew the fight was over um Ovin St. Prue is again a powerful striker I can't say that he's an elite light heavyweight because it seems like whenever he goes against elite light heavyweights he doesn't always come out on top he's still a very good fighter and I think right now he's a gatekeeper he's I, I don't know if he's ever going to be the light heavyweight champion. There's a lot of, of stiff competition at light heavyweight. And Daniel Cormier and John Jones basically rule that division no matter what. John Jones, when he's not uh, doing cocaine or anything like that, and he's not on suspension, is the most dominant light heavyweight of all time. And when he is, isn't is there, Daniel Cormier is the most dominant light heavyweight of all time besides John Jones. And so pretty much this division is going to be John Jones and Daniel Cormier's to run until they both decide to just retire and give it up. So that's pretty much all we're going to talk about in the undercard. You had James Vick defeat Joseph Duffy in a second-round TKO, which was a pretty good shot. I mean, James Vick has, has grown a lot from his days on the Ultimate Fighter. Joseph Duffy, the last man to beat Conor McGregor before Nate Diaz did in um, MMA, 
James Vick wins this fight by TKO. He's on a win streak. I don't really know the exact number of his win streak, and I do apologize for that. But, you know, pretty much both of these guys have an upside. They're going to be, you know, futures of the division. They've got a lot of growing up to do, and they're going to be great at what they do. So moving on to the main card, which was on pay-per-view UFC 217. It started out with uh, Paolo Costa uh, taking on the former welterweight champion, Johnny Hendricks, who's now fighting at 185. Johnny Hendricks has struggled to make weight at 170. He's missed it multiple times. He moves up to 185, and he's missed weight at 185. A lot of it, he said a lot of times it's because of illness, um, but I'll be honest with you, and everybody knows Johnny Hendricks loves to eat. Johnny Hendricks does not have the best uh, diet or dietitian or dietary preference, however you want to state it. He doesn't have the best living style when it comes to not being in fighting and training camp. However, he does have a legitimate uh, wrestling pedigree from Oklahoma State. He also has a legitimate right hand and left hand knockout power, one punch that can put you to sleep. He can put anybody to sleep if he connects with it. And he always has that luscious beard behind him too. And uh, he was the last guy that GSP fought. We'll get into GSP later, but he was the last guy that fought GSP when GSP was the welterweight kingpin and dominating. And that fight that they gave the nod to GSP, a lot of people, including myself, believe that Johnny Hendricks beat GSP that night. If you looked at just on the what looks alone, GSP lost that fight. And, I mean, he was battered. He was bruised. He was bloodied. He was beaten. And Johnny Hendricks didn't look like he had a scratch on him. Now, it's not saying the fight wasn't close, but I will say, in my opinion, Johnny Hendricks won that fight. However, in this, taking on uh, Paolo Costa, uh, Johnny Hendricks said going into this fight that with a year at Jackson Winkle John when he's changed to fight camps that he don't think anybody can beat him. Well, he was wrong as he lost via second-round TKO at a minute 23 in. Now, Johnny Hendricks, I don't know where Johnny Hendricks goes from here. Johnny Hendricks used to be touted as one of the best in the world because of his wrestling and because of his striking ability and the power behind his punches. Now he's lost his last three fights, and I don't honestly know where Johnny Hendricks goes from here because moving back down to welterweight, which would be best for him if he could do it because at middleweight he is a – He's shorter, and he's not the size of some of these guys. Some of these guys are fighting at middleweight division, which is 185 pounds. Some of them are walking around at 220, 230, and they cut down to 185. He's probably around 200 when he cuts, you know. So he, he's an undersized um, middleweight. He's not he's not the right height. Um, height and reach does mean a lot when you're fighting in MMA. And I believe Johnny Hendricks is uh, – problems at middleweight are going to stem from the fact that he's an undersized middleweight where does he go from here we'll have to leave it up to sean shelby uh dana white the ufc we'll have to see what happens but johnny Hendricks has not been impressing me that much at 185 like he did at welterweight and i really wish that some way he could get back down to welterweight because i think that's where he really shined and he really did his best work as again he was the former welterweight champion and the fights he had with robbie lawler were just classics that everybody loved so we'll see how it goes from there. But again, Johnny Hendricks loses to Paolo Costa at with a second round TKO at a minute 23. Moving on next, we had uh, Wonder Boy Stephen Thompson taking on Jorge Masvidal. Uh, Jorge Masvidal is being talked about as being one of the next big contenders at welterweight, which he, he likely will be. Um, he's had words with Tyron Woodley. He's had words with Stephen Thompson. 
He he's had words with pretty much everybody at welterweight trying to make a name for himself. He's a very good stand-up fighter and he's good on the ground and he's taking on Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who's a former two-time uh welterweight title challenger. He never really got it done, but Stephen Thompson, he he's a legitimate taekwondo champion, legitimate karate champion. He has dangerous striking because he comes from different angles. He has a different stance and Tyron Woodley's beat him twice, but Tyron Woodley both times didn't really engage, and the fights were kind of boring. And and I'm going to use this as a little slight against Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley is a great wrestler. He's powerful. He's strong. He has a lot of punching power. And it seems like Tyron Woodley has become now so obsessed with not losing his welterweight belt that he's not wanting to put on an exciting fight for the fans. And his two against Stephen Thompson and the last one against Damian Maya kind of proved my point on that. But Stephen Thompson... Coming into this fight, trying to prove that he deserves another shot at the welterweight belt and putting his name out there against a very dangerous and game Jorge Masvidal. Stephen Thompson comes out with a win in this uh, with a unanimous decision. Stephen Thompson does what Stephen Thompson does. He has weird angles, awkward angles, and he does very. he's very good at u- utilizing the range that he has and the awkwardness that comes with his style that not many people can duplicate, so it's hard to prepare for when you have uh, Stephen Thompson as an opponent. Jorge Masvidal, this is not the end of him. He's going to come back, and he's going to eventually be a welterweight title challenger. Will he be welterweight champion? I don't know. Only time will tell. It's going to depend on what the champion is at that point, whether it's Tyron, whether it's possibly GSP, whether it's Conor McGregor. There's no telling what's going to happen at the welterweight division. It's so open, and the UFC with and the new owners, the, the, the rankings that they have for this is kind of out the window. They're kind of just putting what they think would be the most um, appealing and money-grabbing, and I hate to use that word money-grabbing, but the most um, sellable fights. And, uh, you know, Jorge Masvidal and Tyron Woodley have kind of gone back and forth on Twitter. They've gone back and forth on UNC Fox. So I could I could kind of see them being able to build a rivalry out of this. We'll just see where it goes from here. Stephen Thompson, again, is one of the best in the world at welterweight, and I fully intend that he one day he sh- probably will be a welterweight champion. And... It has, he's going to end up having another shot at Tyron Woodley simply because of that fact. It's the fact that he's the number one ranked welterweight under Tyron Woodley in the in the UFC. So I mean, where, where do you really go from there? You know, but if if you're not going to give him another shot, which I don't think I don't, you know, they're not going to give it right off the bat. We're not going to get Thompson Woodley three. But we'll see where both these guys go from here. Both these guys again are are great competitors. They're great fighters. They're going to be back, win, lose, or draw. So we'll just have to see what's next for them. Next is, uh, I, I will say this, this fight I thought was going to be fight of the night. Um, you had Rose Namajunas, Thug Rose Namajunas, the title challenger, uh, former runner-up in the Tough Enough House for the women's strawweight belt, taking on the undefeated Polish monster, Joanna Champion, Joanna Yunyechik, and I, I thought this fight was going to go a lot longer than it did. Uh, Rose was the underdog in this fight because Joanna's been undefeated. She's been dominant in pretty much every fight she has, even ones that have gone to decision. She's pretty much dominated the fights back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Going into this, I honestly thought, I, did, I, I like Rose. I've never had a problem with Rose. Rose, to me, seems like that girl who wants something so bad, and she trains her tail off, and she does everything she can to make it happen. And I just, I, I knew that she, I thought she could put up a good fight, but I didn't think she could actually pull it out uh, be, simply because Joanna is so good. She is one of the most dangerous strikers in MMA. 
and probably the most dangerous striker in women's MMA, comparable only to Christina Cyborg Santos. I thought Joanna would probably end up pulling this out by a TKO. Why? Simply because I knew Rose wouldn't go dead at her, but Rose would not be afraid to engage if needed be. However, I was completely wrong in my decision here and actually went the opposite way as Rose Namajunez TKOs Joanna Janjecic in the first round at three minutes and three seconds in. I was shocked when this happened because I did not see it going down this way. Rose lands a beautiful left hook that stuns Joanna, drops her, and when she gets on top of her, she pounds. She pounces on her and she just starts laying in ground and pound to the point to where Joanna actually submitted two strikes. And I didn't think it was possible. Rose, you, you saw the emotion in her face when it happened afterwards during... It, she's worked so hard for this. And my hat's off to Rose Nama Yunez. She's a, she's a great warrior, a great competitor, and she's going to be a great champion. My hat also off to Joanna. As Joanna has been the flag bearer of that division for so long. And she was this was going to be her seventh title defense if she won. It would have tied Ronda Rousey's record. And she, Joanna was going to move up a weight class. That's that's what was going to happen next. Unfortunately, it was not Joanna's night. Joanna, again, got beat by Rose and with a brutal TKO. And I know a lot of people now are comparing Joanna to Ronda Rousey, saying that she's weak, saying that she's not going to be able to come back from this. I think you're wrong. Joanna's a little different than Ronda in that aspect. Joanna's going to be back, and I think Joanna's going to be more dangerous than she was when she left. It seems to me now, a lot of times with these dominant champions, that when they lose, everybody wants to start screaming that they were overhyped, that they weren't as good as they were, and you know they, they were they're just they they got lucky a lot. And I don't understand why all of a sudden you can go from loving somebody to hating somebody simply because of a loss. And I think the main thing here was Joanna. I think Joanna kind of got a little cocky, and I think she kind of believed her hype a little too much that she was the best woman in the world. Which, if you look at her work, you can understand why she would think that when everybody's telling her that when she's been so dominant. But I think Rose was not affected by this, and Rose went in there to prove a point. And again, my hat's off to Rose Nama Yunez as she TKOs the greatest uh, woman's strawweight champion in UFC history in the first round at 3 minutes and 3 seconds. My hat's off to both of these ladies. They're going to be back. Rose is going to end up having to fight Yuan again. It's It's going to happen. And the next fight is going to be probably an epic battle because I don't think Joanna's going to take her as lightly. I'm not saying she took her lightly, but I don't think she's going to go in with the same mind frame. She's going to come back bigger, stronger. And Joanna, I can't wait to see you back in the in, in the octagon. Rose, same to you. Hats off. Next up in the co-main event, we have a rivalry that has been brewing for years now. As you have TJ Dillashaw taking on the UFC bantamweight champion Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt coming off a beautiful display of winning the title against Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz is widely considered the greatest bantamweight in MMA history. Cody Garbrandt goes into the fight against uh, Dominic Cruz for the belt with only eight wins, and a lot of people thought that he was the underdog, that he wouldn't be able to pull it off. And he goes in and he out Dominic Cruz is Dominic Cruz. Now, if you know Dominic Cruz, Dominic Cruz, well, he's always moving, he's always coming from weird angles. And, and Cody Garbrandt went in there with a powerful right hand, determined to prove that he is the best in the world. He did the exact same thing that Dominic Cruz did, and he ended up winning 
the Bantamweight title by by unanimous decision. Now, next up, Dillashaw, TJ Dillashaw won the belt from Hannon Burrell while Dominic Cruz was out with injuries for three-plus years. When it comes back, TJ Dillashaw defends his belt against Dominic Cruz, and it was a very close fight. They have very similar styles, and Dominic Cruz edged out the win, so TJ Dillashaw lost his belt. Now, the story that intertwines all of these people is the fact that TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt used to be training partners at Team Alpha Male with Uriah Faber and Joseph Benavidez and a team in Sacramento, California. Uh, TJ Dillashaw ended up leaving Team Alpha Male to go train with Dwayne Ludwig, who was a head coach at Team Alpha Male for some time. He moved back to Colorado to be with his family. TJ Dillashaw went with him. Now, there's different, there's conflicting stories. Dillashaw saying that he was kicked off of Team Alpha Male for this. Uriah Faber, Cody Garbrandt, and pretty much everybody at Team Alpha Male are saying that TJ Dillashaw left them to try to chase money to be trained, paid to train with Dwayne Ludwig, and that he kind of turned his back on the team. It has created a bad blood to where it, Dillashaw is the mortal enemy of. Team Alpha Male, which the mortal enemy of Team Alpha Male used to be Dominic Cruz. This is they're intertwined. All of these people, men, are intertwined in a in a weird little triangle that seems to be a built on respect, hatred, and just animosity. And it, it's a great thing for now. Cody Garbrandt and T.J. Dillashaw leading up to this fight did a uh, the reality show, The Ultimate Fighter. They they were the coaches on it. They which Team Dillashaw ended up actually winning. And there was bad blood the whole time. There was people being choked, grabbed by the throat, threats of violence. I mean, it was it was just, you can tell there's so much tension there. And Cody Garbrandt feels betrayed by T.J. Dillashaw. I don't know the story of what happened. I don't know what, I, I can't tell you what happened. I'll never be able to tell you what happened. The only people that know what happened is T.J. Dillashaw and Team Alpha Male. But they've built up this hatred and this rivalry that's coming to a head on this night. And uh, what happens, T.J. Dillashaw ends up defeating Cody Garbrandt with a TKO at 2 minutes and 41 seconds in to the second round. Cody Garbrandt is always the one with a powerful, he's got power in his hands, and he is probably the most powerful bantamweight there is. He got clipped by T.J. Dillashaw, and he fell, and T.J. Dillashaw swarmed him, which is what T.J. Dillashaw does. T.J. Dillashaw is an impressive fighter. He's very fast, very skilled. And this fight ended rather quickly. Cody Garbrandt didn't think the fight should have ended like it did. He did, he he wanted to continue. The ref saw it differently. There's nothing really you can do for it. T.J. Dillashaw, there was an epic uh, picture of T.J. Dillashaw after the fight screaming in Cody Garbrandt's face. I don't know what they were saying. Uh, Cody Garbrandt says he he's probably talking shit that he didn't really couldn't really hear him because of what was all going on. The fight was pretty quick. But the, the, the interesting thing about this is the first round, Cody Garbrandt actually dropped T.J. Dillashaw at the end of the round and was pounding on him with ground and pound, and it looked like he might win the fight in the first round. However, T.J. Dillashaw stayed because there was only 10 seconds left in the round. The next round, T.J. Dillashaw does the same thing to Cody Garbrandt earlier in the round and ends up picking up the TKO victory. This is not the end of this rivalry. We will see these two guys fight again. T.J. Dillashaw says he wants to go down and fight Demetrius Johnson at 125 for the uh, UFC flyweight belt. That was supposed to happen before. Mighty Mouse didn't really want it. Mighty Mouse is holding the right now is at the streak for longest UFC title defenses at 11. This is a fight that's probably going to happen, but we're not going to see the end of Cody Garbrandt and T.J. Dillashaw. This fight is going to happen again, and you've still got Dominic Cruz in this whole mixture. 
the UFC bantamweight division right now with just those three names is insane. It's crazy, and there's more on the rise. So look for this to happen again. Hats off to both of these guys. Cody Garbrandt's going to come back strong. TJ Dillashaw, you are the champion now. We'll see if you can hold on to it any longer than you did last time. That's not a slight. That's just a observation. So we're going to move on to the, the main event of the evening, the big fight with Michael the Count Bisbing, the reigning defending UFC middleweight champion, taking on the returning former UFC welterweight champion, the most dominant welterweight in UFC history, George St. Pierre. This fight was interesting because I did really know how this fight was going to take. GSP has been off for four and a half years. He took a hiatus after the loss to uh, Johnny Hendricks. He always stayed in phenomenal shape, always trained. But he comes back and decides he wants to go up a weight class to take on Michael Bisming and attempt to be the only the fourth man in UFC history to hold two different titles at two different weight classes. And going into this, Michael Bisming trash-talked GSP over and over and over again. He, he laid into him verbally selling this fight. GSP did a little bit, but didn't. he was always GSP trying to be respectful, not really wanting to go over the top with his trash talk. Um, Michael Bisping has the reach advantage. He has the size advantage. GSP has the wrestling advantage and probably has the strength advantage. So how is this going to happening? Well, I'll tell you exactly how it ends up happening. GSP ends up clipping Michael Bisping, dropping him in the third round at 4 minutes and 23 seconds, locks in a rear naked choke, Bisbing refuses to tap. Michael Bisbing passes out. So GSP is now only the fourth man behind BJ Penn, Randy Couture, and Conor McGregor to hold two different titles and two different weight classes in the UFC. Uh, the fight was entertaining. Again, I didn't really know how it was going to be. Bisbing was getting he was getting taken down by GSP. However, it did seem like he was getting up whenever he wanted to, and from the bottom uh, position. He was landing some vicious shots, elbows, and up to when the fight ended, GSP was bloodied and cut up. And you could have said that if you'd have just looked on went on looks, GSP looked like he might have lost that fight. However, he did submit uh, Michael Bisping, or excuse me, he choked out Michael Bisping. Bisping again did not tap; he just went to sleep. Again, afterward, class act. Bisping giving GSP all the respect in the world. GSP giving Bisping respect, and GSP's back. I mean. Uh, apparently, the next fight is going to be GSP versus Robert Whitaker, who is the interim middleweight champion. There's still Conor McGregor out there. Tyron Woodley still wants him. There's a lot of, of, of fights for GSP right now and a couple of big, big money fights for GSP. Again, uh, in my opinion, everybody knows that they're, they're wanting GSP versus Conor McGregor. That is going to be the fight that they're going to lean towards. But both men have to be able to stay undefeated and keep this hype going. They're the two. Conor McGregor right now is the biggest star in the UFC and MMA, period. GSP was and still is one of the biggest stars in the sport. So it would only make sense to have them two class considering GSP fights at 170 and Conor McGregor has fought at 170. But I don't like that matchup for Conor McGregor. GSP's uh, wrestling ability, his top game, his jiu-jitsu, and even his striking is a much. So it would be a, it would be a tough sell for Conor McGregor to come in and beat George St. Pierre. But again, my hat's off to GSP, who I've never really been a fan of. I've always thought GSP's fights were kind of boring, especially towards the end of his welterweight run when it was all unanimous decisions and it seemed like it was just lay and pray on top of your opponent for 25 minutes. 
So I've never been a big GSP fan or Michael Bisming fan, but I will say Michael Bisming does sell a fight pretty well, and it is fun to watch him when he does fight because at least he brings the fight. But my hat's off to GSP and Michael Bisming for this, with GSP winning the UFC middleweight belt. The reason I wanted to do this episode with the UFC is because I don't really, I haven't really talked about the UFC before. Um, it's one of my favorite sports in the world. I love following MMA, and this is probably the biggest card that's going to happen this year or that's been announced so far and has happened. And the night was just loaded with TKOs and submissions and just crazy off-the-wall fights. And also, I wanted to say, because this is the first card in a long time, if probably ever, that I can call, that I got literally every fight wrong. From the prelim to the main event, I called every single fight wrong. I've never done that before. And it was amazing to me that I was able to do that. So I kind of take pride in knowing that I called everything wrong. And that's why I don't bet on uh, mixed martial arts because anything can happen. And I'm, the times when I take the favorites, they tend to lose. The times when I don't take the favorites, they tend to win. So I don't know what to do. But it was a from top to bottom great card. Three title changes. Again, that's the first time in UFC history that I can remember. Three and new champions were crowned. We had some returning contenders. In divisions, we have new contenders in divisions. Undefeated streaks, again, have come to an end. The return of a legend. What more could you ask for in an action-packed, exciting pay-per-view event that the UFC held? So, if you haven't seen this card um, and you're a fan of MMA, I suggest you find some way to watch it. Most of these fights are probably online. I know you can still order the pay-per-view. It's, 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 a, great, it's a great pay-per-view to watch because you're, you're not going to be. This isn't a bunch of boring fights. These, from top to bottom, uh, prelims to main event, it was exciting, and it lived up to the hype for Madison Square Garden. So that's going to be it for Nerdpool this week. Again, thank you to everybody for listening to me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at NerdpoolPod. You can follow me on Instagram at NerdpoolPodcast. Thank you for all the support and all the love. Thank you for coming back week after week and listening to me as I talk about the things I love and the things I hope you love. So that's it. Uh, that's Nerdpool for this week. Until next time, see ya.